wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Hello and welcome. You can head to bleedingdaylight.net to hear from a lot of people who are kicking against the darkness, as well as finding links to Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Our children may learn a lot at school, but where will they learn the life lessons that schools don't teach? And who's going to teach them? Today's guest has some answers. Luke Grimm is a husband and the father of eight kids. He spent time in the US Army. He coaches youth soccer, serves as a counsellor at a church camp for kids, and leads a men's group and small group through his church. Together with his friend Brian, he decided that there was a real gap in teaching young people the kinds of things that schools just don't. He's my guest on Bleeding Daylight today. Luke, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Rodney, thanks for having me. And I I want you to know I am on cup of coffee number two, so I'm ready to go. Excellent. You're very keen to see young people learn a a range of life skills, but your website, the16things.com, is aimed at parents equipping them to teach their own children. So which is more important, that kids learn these valuable lessons or that it's actually the parents that are doing the teaching? You know, I've had a lot of conversations about our website and what we do. I've never heard it posed in the way that you posed it. I think they have to go together. So for, for example, while we want kids to learn these things, I happen to believe in, and Brian Perry, he's the one that started this. He's just not here today. We believe that parents do know what's best for their own children. I believe that. Whether it involves schoolwork, it involves morals, it doesn't necessarily mean the parents is always right, because I know I'm wrong a lot, but we think parents are best suited to teach things in general. It's not TikTok. It's not YouTube. It's not kids at the playground or recess, and it's not public school educators for these things. And I personally teach 12th grade. I don't have a licensure to teach gender ideology or sexual orientation or morals or values. It's not on my licensure. I didn't go to college for that. We do believe that parents are best suited to teach us, but they do have to learn it. So I think they go hand in hand, Rodney. I've certainly heard of parents that do give over the job of teaching their children to schools and to other people. They think, well, they're the ones that have learned how to do this, so let them do that. What are the dangers in us just handing over that responsibility to someone else? There's a lot of danger. And I think a lot of parents that do hand this over, we reflect back on our time in school. So Ronnie, you and I went to school and we turned out okay. So therefore, schools must be okay now. Let's say my parents were really, really strict and, and they spanked me a lot and it went too far and sometimes I got hit and they verbally berated me and I, I survived. Well, just because I went through all that doesn't mean it's okay to do today. So just because schools were okay back then doesn't mean they are now. And I think a lot of parents would be surprised to understand that schools are, a lot of schools are placing morals and values ahead of mathematics and reading and speaking and sciences. And if they knew that the schools were putting whatever the teacher's values were ahead of these things, I think parents may take notice. And another problem with this is if you have a teacher that has 30 students in the classroom, there's no way that teacher can speak to all 30 kids' values. These 30 kids are going to have different faith backgrounds. Their family's going to have different faith backgrounds. They're going to believe differently on everything. So why should a teacher be teaching anything 
about you know morals that come from a faith or an atheist faith. And as we look through your website and look at the sorts of things that you are teaching parents and helping them to equip their kids, there's a lot of stuff that is not even going to be mentioned in a school, is there? There's there's a whole range of issues that we need to pass on to our kids to prepare them for life in general, not just a, a book education, but life education. What are some of those things that you think are important that parents are teaching their kids? Sure. So we'll start with one that kind of should be taught but it's taught incorrectly. And the way I phrase it on the website is biblical financial literacy. So I have a few college degrees because the U.S. Army paid for them. And one of them, I do have a master's in business administration. So having an MBA, I teach economics and I teach government. And in the economics curriculum, the curriculum teaches students about the benefits of credit cards and having a high credit score and, and getting loans. It's in the curriculum. Kids are taught the goodness of credit cards. Okay. Having a good credit score, you can make an argument on on why that matters. But I mean, we're teaching kids to go into debt. Like you cannot make this up. It's in the curriculum. And so if we just leave that up to the teachers, well, our kids are going to go to college and pull out $100,000 in student debt just from college. Then another 20 or 30 grand in credit cards. And I mean, they're in over their heads for the next 20 years. So this is an example of how do we teach them now at the house instead of waiting for them to make a mistake? Oh, I can't believe you made that mistake. Come sit down and let's have a good teachable moment. Well, teachable moments matter, but I think we can prevent some stuff, Rodney. So in this example, biblical financial literacy, we talk about not having debt, not owing things. The money that comes in is yours to use and to serve with and to give with, and you can establish some wealth with that. And that's just the overall message. Coming from the Bible, money, 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 is, is it causes a lot of people to stumble. I mean, a lot of people in life, parents that are listening to this, they know what I'm talking about. If they get too much of it and they start to covet money, they start to stumble. If they don't have enough and they think that's what they need, then they have stress and anxiety and money causes a lot of people to stumble. So we would say, this is an example. Let's sit down with our kids and let's truly talk about how to save, how to earn. Don't just expect to receive from the government and what to do with the money. There's somebody out there that needs things that we have. And we had the ability to help and serve. So that's just one example, Rodney. Money. Good old money, right? Absolutely. It's one of those things that is absolutely essential in life if we're going to get anywhere, but we're often not taught how to use it. And I think this harks back to what you were saying earlier about some of the things that happened when we were at school and things being so different. Back when we were at school and had our first jobs, most of us would remember being handed a pay packet that had cash in it or at least a check. Yeah. And so there was something tangible. These days, our kids often don't see money at all. It's just something that the plastic card makes. And, and we just think that there's always more money in this plastic card. And, and so we don't have that understanding of the tangible benefits of money, do we? We don't. And I remember I was 17 years old. I was in 12th grade of high school. And I got my very first debit card. I I left work one day. We just got paid. It was direct deposit right in the bank. So I went to the ATM, I put in my card and and a question pops up, $2.95 for fee, yes or no? I said, no, why would I want to do that? I hit no. Well, let's spit my card back out. I had to do it. So I'm thinking, nobody taught me these things. I had to learn that on my own. And so I don't know if I were a 17 year old with a job, if the money was tossed into my bank account, And I look at my phone and there it is. It's just, it's obtuse. They're just numbers. They don't really mean a whole lot because I like how you said a 
physical packet of money or a physical check, like you're looking at something that has value. And then when you go spend that money, you've, you significantly feel the loss. You have less of it. But when it's just on your phone, you're just checking these apps, it is very easy to go spend $10 on a value meal and you realize, wait a minute, that was an entire hour's worth of pay. It's easy to lose the value of money, Ronnie. That's a great point. And that, of course, leads us into this whole value of work. When we look at what we're spending as opposed to the time that we spend actually earning that money, that goes into another area that our young people need to know about, and that is the value of work, even aside from the money side of things. It is. And I think the way we phrase that one uh, on our website is value of time. As I work with 16, 17, 18-year-olds, it amazes me that students will give up time with the family, give up time studying, give up time doing sports or things, because they are still kids. They are still high school kids. And they will give up all of these things that kids do still need to go work during the school day. Okay. It's an opportunity cost. And they don't always understand this, that for every hour you're at work, you're not spending time with the family. Well, every hour you're with the family, you're not at work. And it goes on and on. And even that's not the biggest problem. One of the biggest problems I see is video games. A kid will waste an entire weekend. Out of the 48 hours, they'll spend 36 of them on video games. And you ask that kid, well, how did you grow over the weekend? What made you better? Tell me what you did with your family. Tell me anything you did that's beneficial. And they have nothing. They don't truly understand that our time is limited and it has a value to it. This is important to talk to our kids about. So, so Ronnie, every one of these 16 things, the core concept would be this. Look, twice a week, we're going to send out a newsletter and here's the theme for the week. So with this theme, take your kid, just go to the dining room table and let's say we're talking about the value of time. It's like, look, here, here's, um, here's some paragraphs to kind of get you going. Here's a conversation starter. Here's why it matters. Please, over the next few days, be intentional with your kid and explain your hour in the video game could have gone towards something else. We all need to understand that value. And then we'll have a couple of videos to kind of help them out. But Rodney, I think parents do want to teach this stuff with their kids. I mean, in your experience, do you think parents want their kids to know these things? Absolutely. They want them to know it. So often they're trying to hand over that responsibility because they don't feel equipped to teach these things. And I suppose that's where this website and your connection with parents right across the world really is coming in. It's like, we want you to feel equipped. And so I guess you're hearing from parents who say, I didn't know how to do this because there's an awkwardness to suddenly sitting your child down and starting to teach them something, isn't there? There is. Last week, so Brian and I will alternate weeks on what we write. So last week I wrote about one of the most uncomfortable and most awkward conversations ever. And that is talking to your teenagers about pornography. I mean, it's a tough conversation. It's a tough conversation for adults if they're very honest and not trying to hide something. So last week, whoever subscribed would get a little newsletter and here's the conversation. It's like, look, parents, we're not here to guilt you. We're not here to condemn anybody. But I believe, Rodney, that even a porn star would not want to give their children cell phones and hope that their kids get addicted to pornography. Nobody wants that from their children. Nobody wants that lifestyle. And so we kind of laid out, it's like, boys, this, as you talk to your teenage boys, explain to them how this will destroy future relationships. And should they get married, it could destroy the possibility for them having children. Ladies, if you date someone addicted to this, Every time that you know, you're married and that you're in the bedroom, he's bringing all these images, all these videos, all of these thoughts into the bedroom. It's not healthy for anybody. 
and we all know this, we all understand it, but Rodney, you said it's, it's awkward. It's a tough conversation. Parents want to have it, but most parents don't know how to start it. And so we're trying to encourage them to say, look, you, you are not alone. You're not. I mean, this is a worldwide issue. You are not alone. So here's a good way to just initiate. And, and once you get through the first minute, get through the awkwardness, I think the kids are going to appreciate that you did that. I, th- I think they would. The interesting thing is, and I do agree with you, that most of us should know that pornography is not a good thing, that it's not healthy, and yet we see that it has been somewhat normalised in our society, whereas it used to be a taboo topic. We see even sitcoms, even from you know a couple of decades ago, where they're regularly talking and, and laughing about the fact that they're using pornography. Do you think that that has had a damaging effect on our young people over the last several decades as they've seen that normalised, as they've seen people talk about this in just a such an inconsequential way? I do. This is going to bring a word in that I think everyone understands, and that word is culture. We'll come back to the pornography. We'll circle back. On our website, one of our things is taking a stance for truth and for Christ. So I believe, Rodney, if you and I would have been born in the south of the United States in 1830, we would have been taught that slavery wasn't just acceptable, but that culture would have said slavery was proper. It was right. It was good, right? Based on the time and based, it's based, the year and the location where we're born, we have different cultures to face. And we can clearly look back and say that culture was wrong. If you and I would have been born in certain parts of Europe in 1930s or 1920, as Hitler's coming up, we would have been taught that this culture of a dominant race is proper. It's the right thing to do. And culture has been proven wrong decade after decade after decade after decade. And so now here we are, 2023, we would be foolish to think that our culture, whether it's Australia or the United States, we have it right because we don't. There is a part of every single culture. We are called not to conform to this world the normalizing of pornography. This is not a sermon for parents, right? Because if parents think that we're giving them a sermon, they may not sit down and talk to their kids. We're not trying to do that. There's no guilt here. But our kids are being raised with cell phones in their hands. And the thing is, Rodney, we're paying for it. Like we go to the, the phone store. We spend a few hundred dollars. We buy the phone. We give it to them. Out of our own free will, we give it to them. And then we continue to pay $100 a month or whatever so that they can have this item in their hand. And then we get confused when they get addicted to these things. And so parents don't want that. And we're, we're just, it's, it's a normalizing that we, we can fight back on. We can, be se- we can be different. We can separate ourselves from the norm of the culture, Rodney. And I think we kind of need to, because I don't, I don't know. Do you think it's going to get any better in the near future? It's really one of those things where unless the tide starts to turn, it is going certainly in the wrong direction. And as you say, that right throughout history, there are different parts of the culture that we look back on and we say that was absolutely wrong. So therefore, we're looking for that anchor. We're looking for that truth that goes across the time. And I think both you and I agree that that comes from scripture, that comes from the Bible. And yet we live in a time where the main thing in society is this whole idea of do whatever suits you. So we hear people saying, well, you do you. In other Mm. words, you do what you want or talking about, well, that's my truth or that's your truth as if truth can be owned rather than it being actually 
the truth. Do you think that this is one of the big blockers for parents trying to to bring this message to their children? I do. I think I think it's a a horrible um, idea to fall into with the truths. If a parent doesn't understand this conversation on truth, this wasn't a deal, a big deal when we went to school. It wasn't. It wasn't a conversation point. We understood certain things are absolutely true. And just because you have a different opinion about it, it doesn't change that it is true. We just have different opinions about it. But now we we look at someone's opinion as a, a truth. And what that does is it forces people to silence like, oh, that's his truth. Well, I can't infringe on his truth. Wait a minute. Now we start getting into pronouns. Rodney, if I told you that my pronoun is she, her, and hers, but you look at me and you say, well, no, this is a man, but I'm forcing you. And this is where we're going in modern day culture. I'm forcing you to use a completely different pronoun that goes with a completely different biological sex. And if you don't use this, because this is my truth, if you don't use that, you are the one that is full of hate. And parents don't want to be called bigots. They don't want to be called anything phobe. And so we we have silence and we start to consent. So it's tough for parents. It is very tough for parents. You, you mentioned, a, I'll use the word cornerstone or foundation coming from scripture. If our cornerstone and foundation does come from scripture, we can look to Jesus for a great example on everything. And I believe, Rodney, that Jesus was one of the most direct leaders that I can look to. He didn't go looking for trouble. He didn't intentionally go up to people and say, you're doing right or wrong. People will come up to him and challenge him, or he'd be in situations where there are confrontations happening and he would call right, right. And he would call wrong, wrong. And he would talk about the truth again and again and again. You know what, Rodney? The people hated him for it. So we should not be surprised when we call the truth true and we can say what is wrong is wrong. We shouldn't be surprised when people also hate us. I don't think we should. One of the other things that you talk about on the website and you're helping parents to explain to their kids is this concept of serving, following, and leading. In today's world, tell me how that looks. How are we encouraging our kids to to serve, to follow, and to lead in this time? We'll start with leading. Well, the idea of, oh, I want my kid to be a leader. I want my kid to be in charge. I want my kid to run things. This sounds great. But rarely do we as parents sit down and teach them what that looks like. So our kids will learn that from movies. And movies are not going to give us an accurate reflection of real leadership. So now I go back to my time in the military. Um, So all 20 years in the Army, when I would be in charge of something, I was also underneath someone. Every single unit I was ever in, and there's no exception. In fact, our Army and Navy and Marines and Air Force There's one person in charge of them. He's called the Joint Chief of Staff. He is still answering to the president. Everybody answers to somebody somewhere. If we teach somebody how to lead, they have to know how to follow. And if we teach someone to follow, they're learning how to lead. And before we get to serving, the core of those, the the leading and the following is a servant's heart. If we can teach our kids to lead and have a servant spirit where we serve the people that we're leading, people will follow us through the fire. People will be loyal to us and we'll be loyal to them. And that makes an amazing work relationship. People want to be around somebody like that. Um, And it teaches humility. It teaches the difference between pride and humility. And with serving, Rodney, I used the illustration about three or four weeks back when I talked about serving uh, of Jesus cleaning the disciples' feet. I mean, here, here is the creator of the universe, sends his son down 
and the son gets down on the knee in that dirty, dusty room and cleans the muck and the dirt and the grime off of these other people's feet. And then he dries them with his own clothes. And then he says, serve as I have served you. I can't think of a better role model than that. And so if we can teach our kids, we sit them down at the table and say, look, when you learn how to serve and you learn how to care for others, that is success in life. It's not making a million dollars a year. It's not going to the right college. Those things are superficial. They come and they go. But a servant's heart will carry. It will change relationships. It will help you with friendships, with an intimate relationship. It will leave a legacy on others. It is relational. This is the way to go. So Rodney, yeah, we have a whole category dedicated to those three things. And I hope we're making an impact a little at a time. One of the things I love about your website, these16things.com, is that you're not just talking about some of these big concepts, and we've discussed some of those big concepts already, but there are things that are just common sense, things that we just need to know, like real nutritional knowledge and cooking. Why is that thrown in there in amongst all these other really big topics? When I joined the Army, I was given access to the, to the dining facility. Three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner was free. All I had to do is show up with a meal card and they'd feed me. And this happened for years and years and years. And the first time I moved out of the barracks and I was living out on the economy, I was not prepared to cook my own food. So for like a year and a half, I was on recruiting duty, helping, you know, trying to find people to join the military. I was eating out out of 21 meals. I was probably eating out 19 meals a week. That's a lot of eating out a week. And then the other two meals were probably ramen in my apartment. I was a mess. I felt like I was mature. I was in the army for eight years, but I, I never understood taking care of myself with food, with shopping, with budgeting for food, with proper health, proper nutrition. I was very, very immature in that category. So Brian, a couple of weeks back, he actually did a lesson on growing our own food. And he took a video of him planting lettuce in his backyard with his kids there. And while we're not asking people to be gardeners, we're not asking people to grow lettuce, by his kids being part of that, when that lettuce does grow and they're ready to eat it, those kids are going to be excited about eating a salad. Not because it's a salad, but because they were part of the process. And it helps them be intentional about, wait a minute, this kind of healthy food, we can do this on our own and we can go shop for it. I don't know about you, Ronnie, but I'm not a good cook and I never was. I, I wish I would have gotten this right when I was young. I think it is one of those essential things that we need to know because cheap, easy food is all around us now. It wasn't when some of us were growing up, although fast food does seem to have been around for quite some time now, but it seems a whole lot easier, a whole lot cheaper to just buy stuff that is not good for our bodies. It's not. That's a dangerous situation, isn't it? It is. I read an article just this morning about recruiting for the military. I don't go looking for military news, but it popped up. Our country is in a really bad place when it comes to recruiting. And it mentioned how many millions, I don't think it hit billions, but millions of dollars a year we spend on overweight recruits. They get injured more often at, at, at training. They can't make it. So they wash out and we've lost money. And it just talks about how people are disqualified all across our country because they are now obese. And what's going to change that? I believe this. Accidentally, Ronnie, you and I, we can have bad marriages. Accidentally, if we just don't take care of things, they can accidentally be bad marriages. But we cannot accidentally have a good marriage. That takes effort and intentionality. Credit card debt. We could accidentally over the years just rack up thousands of dollars of debt, but we cannot accidentally get out of it. And being overweight is the same. 
we can accidentally, over years of not really caring or paying attention, we can find ourselves overweight, but we cannot accidentally lose the weight. It takes being intentional. And I would like my kids to have a, a healthy, fit lifestyle. And so we don't have to fix it, right? I, I don't want to have to fix a problem. I'd rather we just don't have the problem. And I think most parents would agree. Let's just prevent our kids from being overweight, but it doesn't happen on its own. So that's just another example. Pull that kid to the table and say, look, let's talk about the word obesity. Let's talk about the word fitness and just conversation will go from there, man. And it seems that in all the things that you're talking about, intentionality is the key. That if we don't actually address some of these issues, then we're going to accidentally end up on the wrong side of it. But if we're intentional about them, it's going to make a difference in every area of our lives. Yes. So let's let's picture something at its most basic level every parent can understand, and that is teaching our children how to tie shoes. When we teach our kids how to tie shoes, we generally are not intentional. We, we generally don't say, all right, little man, let's go sit down and let's learn. What we usually do is we're at the front door. We're trying to get the whole family in the car. We're in a rush. We're running late. And there's your kid on the floor crying because of shoelaces. Then you're like, okay, come on. This is how you do it. And you're irritated. And what we're doing is we are reacting. We are reacting to some sort of an event. And when we do teach it, we're irritated. That, that is like the most basic level of reacting and teaching. Well, with a 16-year-old, if we wait for our kid to come back and say, Dad, I got expelled. Mom, I got suspended. Hey, I just got fired. Hey, I got cut from the team because I kept showing up late. We're reacting to these things and we're irritated. We're mad. We're upset. And while we should teach them a, a valuable lesson at that point, everyone's already upset. If we're honest with ourselves, there's not a lot of learning happening. They learned because they made a mistake. But if we're intentional and we sit down and say, look, you know, once a week, let's just learn something. I got to say, man, our kids are going to leave the house, go out on their own. I think they're going to be functioning. They're going to be able to stand for truth. They're going to be able to stand for Christ. They're going to get promotions. They're going to get raises. They're going to serve others. And I think they're going to reflect back and, and remember these conversations. I really, really do. I think they're going to remember it. When we look at all of these things, I can imagine that there are some people listening thinking all we need is another person to come up with their own theories about parenting and try and force them onto others, someone who doesn't really know the real situation. But they can't say that with you because you have eight kids. <laughs> so this is something that is real for you. And you're not just working with your own kids, but you're involved with other kids around you at, at camps and through soccer training and, and everything like that. How is it working out for you within your family? I'm not asking you to tell tales out of school. How's it working out there? I have a great example. One of our 16 things is called how to sell an idea. So we do it all the time. You personally had to sell the idea to me that I could be a good guest. I had to sell to you the idea that I could be a good guest. We sell things all the time, but our kids don't generally learn how to do that. So about a month and a half ago, that was our topic, how to sell an idea. We went through it. Well, just last night, we have a serving opportunity through our school. It's called Pack Away Hunger. It, it costs some money, so we're trying to raise some money. And I said, look, kids, let's get my dad, so their grandpa, let's get dad on the phone or on, on FaceTime, and let's talk to him and grandma about this Pack Away Hunger stuff and see if they could donate. But you girls got to sell the idea. And they understood. They understood. So we got on it was Skype. We got on Skype and there they are. And I said, okay, Eve. Eve is 13. She's almost 14. All right, Eve, go ahead. And her face got red. Her eyes got, got a little moist like she's nervous. Kids get nervous with public speaking and having to sell an idea to a grandparent that involves money. But 
because we had gone through this exact lesson, I'm sitting there watching and listening how she is almost like she has bullet points in her head and she is selling my dad, who is very intelligent, selling him on the idea of like, look, we're trying to pack food away for people that are food insecure. We're learning how to serve and all the money goes back to our soccer league. So these are the reasons and I'm watching this and she didn't quit. She didn't cry. She didn't wait to be rescued. It was a huge success last night. So over a month and a half until now, I watched her grow in this area. It was fantastic, man. So I think it's working. So there are opportunities that we all have to build into our kids at whatever age they are. And a lot of that comes together, as we say on that website, these16things.com. What has been some of the response from people that have started to get these newsletters from you, to, to watch the videos, to really unload these with their kids? What has been the responses that you've heard? Yeah, great question. On our website, there's an email. They can always respond to us. It's these 16 things at yahoo.com. And we've had some good ideas from parents. So parents that are listening and they're reading the newsletters. So we also have uh, YouTube videos that will pop out. So we always ask people, yeah, go check us out on YouTube. Hit subscribe so you'll see new videos. Just words of encouragement. And so we've had email responses. Hey, could you please talk about this thing? Hey, this has been really tough with us at the house. Can you hit on this? Hey, uh, if you did this thing, my family would really benefit from that. And that reminds me that people are listening, people are reading, and they want more. And, and I do like how you phrase that, oh, here's another guy just trying to tell us how to parent. I get that. I do. Uh, so I would just remind people that having eight kids, having been a drill instructor, basic training with teenagers and young adults, and now as a high school teacher, I have watched a lot of problems and a lot of issues. There's nothing in it for me financially. There's nothing in it at all. We're just trying to help, buddy. It sounds like you're doing an amazing thing. And as I say, we've already mentioned the website a number of times, the16things.com, and I'll put those details in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net. Is there another way that people can contact you or is that the best place for them to go? It is the best place. When they go to the website, there'll be a little banner pops up for your email. And if you don't want to put your email in there, just don't. Take a look. But as they click each of the 16 items, there's always another place to put your email. Uh, there's a link to our YouTube. Go check us out. Comment on any video you that, that kind of strikes your fancy. We'd love ideas. And if someone were to send us an email at these16things at yahoo.com, we would absolutely love to know what topics are on your hearts and your minds as parents. I mean, we'll, we will absolutely address them as, as we get along in the weeks. Luke, I love what you're doing, and I know that there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to have a look at that website. They're going to start using that with their own families, and they're going to appreciate that as well. I just want to say thank you so much for your time today on Bleeding Daylight. Thanks, Rodney. Take care and go have some coffee before the day's done. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.